Just for a few weeks now, for the rest of this term, we are looking at about five Sundays under the title of Big Objections. So some of the key questions that people throw at Christianity, some of the problems that are out there that are pointed at the Christian faith by the rest of the world. We felt it was really important for us regularly to address these kind of things um, it's key that we get our heads around that we're able to give an answer for what we believe. So if you're here and you have questions about Christianity, that's fantastic. It's great to have you amongst us. Uh, we're, we will have a go in as much as you can do in half an hour on a Sunday morning to answer some of those big questions. But also, I think just for us who are part of the church, it's really important that we um, are well equipped to answer people's questions and objections to the Christian faith. So if you look at 1 Peter, have we got that um, That verse up there, Peter says this in one of his letters, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And so as Christians, we need to be in a position to give a reason for the hope that we have and to be able to begin to answer people's questions. Not that we have to have it all sorted, but I think it's important that we're equipped well. So over the next few weeks, we're going to look at um, sex, science, why are Christians not more different from other people? How can you believe the resurrection? Those are the kind of topics. And this morning, we're going to look at the topic of suffering. So uh, we haven't set ourselves much of a task in half an hour. Um, but there you go. And so we're kicking off with a, a pretty tricky question. Why would a loving God, an all-loving, all-powerful God, possibly allow so much suffering? That's the question for this morning. Obviously, we We only have a short amount of time, so it's going to be a pointer of how we start thinking about this. And it's possibly, I guess, one of the most difficult challenges to the Christian faith. It's not only is it kind of a logical objection, but it also gets right to the heart, doesn't it? That all of us have things uh, that we've gone through or we've seen people go through around us that cause us to cry out to God uh, and to question what's going on. Why are these things happening? Why are we going through this pain? How does that all work? So many of us, um, we, we could say we understand that. And wherever we look, really, I guess if you look at the news, you look at what's going on in the world, the amount of pain out there is incredible, isn't it? And just in this room, there are so many of us who have been through different things, maybe going through things right now. And, and our, we're, we're just in the midst of it saying, God, what, what's going on? Why, why is this happening? And that's very real. Right through to the small things, the relationship uh, complications, the misunderstandings, the hurt, the the everyday stuff, the pain and uh, difficulties uh, that we experience as human beings. And I guess uh, a lot of sermons have been preached on this. I guess a lot of books have been written. Um, So we're going to keep it very simple. And as I say, what I'm hoping to do is just to give us some kind of pointers and guidelines. On the way in, I just need to say I'm really grateful to King's Church Eastbourne, who did a similar series to this. Um, and they've provided a lot of our provocation and material. And Andrew Wilson looked at this topic in a brilliant way. And that's been really helpful to me because my philosophy is why reinvent the wheel? Okay, so let's pray and then we'll get going. Lord Jesus, we just want to say we're here for you, Lord. We just want to give all of our questions and our, uh, the things that go through our minds, the things that we're going through in life right now, we want to bring them to you. We just 
I want to say, Lord, we know that the Bible tells us that you're a loving God, that you love us, that you're full of grace and mercy towards us. And we just want to, uh, Lord, we want to give this topic to you. We pray that you would help us to have an answer for the hope that is within us. We pray that you'd help us to know how to even think through these kind of things. And Lord, uh, we thank you that you're a God who is with us. Father, help us right now by your spirit, Lord. Point us in the right direction, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, why would a loving God, how could a loving God allow so much suffering? And I want to start with the short answer, which you may not find very satisfying, but the short answer is, we don't know. Okay? I hope you're not disappointed by that, and that you weren't waiting this morning for the answer that has never been given to you all these years, but at the end of the day, I think actually it's really important that we admit that we really don't know why all the suffering that we see around us, that we experience. We, we can't give an answer to why all of it happens. There are plenty of answers out there. We find bit partial answers in Scripture. Uh, there are answers that we know. You've heard them before. We know that human beings have free choice. But yet, but there again, we can't trace everything back to a human choice always. We know that some things go wrong as a consequence of sin, either our own or somebody else's. And we, we know that experience in our own lives, don't we? That pain can be caused by somebody doing something wrong to us. Or we know that we've caused pain to others by the things that we've done that are not in line with the, the way that God would have us live. And we know that that is a cause of pain and suffering one to another. Sometimes it's intentional, sometimes it's absolutely not. But there are plenty of situations where that doesn't apply. We know that physical laws exist. We live in a universe that is ordered by, by physical laws. We can predict the way it happens. So if you jump out of a tree, you don't know what might, you might cause yourself pain and suffering. If you're going to go down the gym every day and overdo it or try and do a marathon when you're not equipped, you know, you can do yourself damage. These are, there are physical laws that exist. We know that the Bible talks about preparing our character for the future. It talks about God being like a father to us and us like children and him disciplining us. And that we don't necessarily understand what's going on at the time, just as children don't. If you're parents, you know that, that experience. But again, we find that there doesn't seem to be any correlation between the suffering that happens to people and people's maturity or lack of it or character and uh, some things happen to some people and they don't seem to happen to other people and we there's no way of working out why that is the case so although we have some hints at answers we can never say this is the comprehensive answer this is the universal uh, we can't look at every piece of suffering or hurt that people go through and say well this is why we just can't do that and we're incredibly foolish if we try to do that I believe and so we only have to look in the Bible at probably the most famous Bible character who went through incredible um, trials and tribulations. And that was the character of Job in the Old Testament. And what we find with him that in the midst of incredible things that he suffers, as things go wrong in his life and things are taken away from him, what we find is that there are a whole, whole load of people around him, so-called his friends in inverted commas, who have lots of advice and lots of explanations for him as to why he might be suffering or what he might have done wrong or why God might be allowing the things that are happening in his lives. And, and actually the Bible takes a fairly dim view of those people's assessments of the situation. So if we look in Job uh, chapter 16, this is Job's summary of the advice from his friends. He says, I've heard many things like these. Miserable comforters are you all. Will your long-winded speeches never end? 
And I think we should take that as a bit of a a warning when we try to look at the answers uh, to these questions, these difficult questions about suffering. Also, at the the end of the book of Job, in chapter 42, we find God also takes a pretty dim view of Job's friends and their so-called explanations. So in Job 42, chapter, sorry, uh, verse 7, It says this, after the Lord had said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I'm angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. So now take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. So what we understand is that as these guys bring explanations into Job's suffering and try to help in that way, that God says, actually, you're not being very helpful and I'm going to get Job, who's being honest and expressing his pain to me, he's going to pray for you. I'm going to answer his prayer and I'll forgive you for your foolishness. So let's take that as a warning. So the the short answer to the problem of suffering is we don't know. The next thing that I want to look at is, if you like, the logical argument. So the argument that the uh, the world would would put at the Christian faith to say, look, suffering means that Christianity doesn't make sense. This is my objection to Christianity. There's too much suffering around. How can a loving, powerful God possibly allow this much suffering? The argument goes, well, it's a simple argument, isn't it? If God knows everything, if he can do everything he wants and he loves us, How could he allow us to suffer or people to suffer in the way that he does? If he was loving and if he was powerful, he must step in and do something about it. He doesn't seem to. Suffering exists. Therefore, God can't exist. That's the argument, isn't it? The main problem with that argument, of course, is that it assumes that if God did have a good reason for allowing suffering, as we see it, that he would have revealed it to us. Yeah? That we would understand, that we would know what his good reason was if he had one. And why would we? Why should we assume that we would understand that? We, by definition, God is all-knowing. Yeah? And larger than us. And we're limited, we're finite. And there are going to be a whole load of things that he knows that we're not going to know. That we won't understand. This is how the Old Testament prophet Isaiah puts it. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heaven is higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So God is utterly different from us. And we're slightly getting above ourselves if we assume that if God did have a good reason to allow the things that we see around us that we would be enlightened as to what that reason was. And in fact, what we find as we look through history and we look through different societies is that actually this idea that if God had a good reason to allow the things that go on, that we would know what it was, that he would have revealed it to us as human beings. That is actually a fairly recent phenomenon. That through most of history and in most cultures and societies, actually people wouldn't have made that logical jump. They wouldn't say, well, we assume that we would know if God had a good reason. In fact, they would have got to the point of saying, well, we don't understand. This is a mystery. 
So actually, we find that, and the other thing that's worth saying, of course, is a lot of those societies and those cultures had a lot more pain and suffering probably than we know right now. So we don't really get anywhere when we go down this logical route. It might not seem to make sense to us that an all-powerful, all-loving God would allow the kind of suffering that is around us. But if he's big enough to get cross with about suffering, then he's big enough to have reasons for allowing it that are beyond my knowledge. Now, don't get me wrong here. I'm not saying that this is a nice, neat little Christian answer to the problem of of suffering. I realize that in many ways, it doesn't really get to the heart of the matter for us. Our problem, actually, fundamentally, is not really a logical one. It's It's an experiential one, if you like. It's an emotional reaction. We don't understand. We find ourselves in the middle of pain. But just in starting to unpack the logical argument, I think what maybe it gives us a bit more perspective on where we are as human beings, reminds us of our position. And in fact, as, as I say, as we look through different societies and cultures and uh, people's reactions to dealing with this problem, actually what we find that what happened in the Middle East 2,000 years ago with uh, Jesus coming as a man, dying and being resurrected, and that whole story, the impact that that has had right through history Actually, that becomes one of the things that we have to put in our framework and make sense of. That people believe in Jesus in the midst of pain and suffering right through uh, history. And so this is how C.S. Lewis puts it. To ask whether the universe as we see it looks more like the work of a wise and good creator or the work of chance, indifference or malevolence is to omit from the outset all the relevant factors in the religious problem. Christianity is not the conclusion of a philosophical debate on the origins of the universe. It's not a system into which we have to fit the awkward fact of pain. It is itself one of the awkward facts which have to be fitted into any system that we make. So that's a logical argument. But as I say, it doesn't really get to the heart of the matter. I fully admit that, which is why we don't want to spend too much time on it. I think there's a problem with it. But... It's not where the rubber hits the road for us, if you like. The real problem is one of the heart, one of the emotions that we, as we go through life, we find things that cause us to cry out. Why? Why is this happening to me? What's going on here? Where's God in this? How do I process this? What, how do I make sense of what I'm feeling? I'm hurting. I'm cross. I don't understand. And that's the reality. And the first thing to say on this is that actually, as we look through the Bible, this is a common reaction. The Bible is actually full of people reacting to pain and suffering, dealing with it in an honest way and expressing all those feelings to God. So let's go back to Job that we looked at at the beginning. Job chapter 10, this is what he says. I loathe my very life. Therefore, I will give free rein to my complaint and speak out in the bitterness of my soul. I'll say to God, do not condemn me, but tell me what charges you have against me. Does it please you to oppress me, to spurn the work of your hands while you smile on the schemes of the wicked? So he knew what his life was like. He didn't understand what was happening. Why were other people not suffering? And even those who were going against God and disobeying him, it didn't make any sense to him. And he expressed that to God. Again, David writing in the Psalms. The Psalms, David's songs before God are on all sorts of topics, aren't they? Psalm 22 says this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. I don't understand what's happening. I'm, I'm coming to you. I believe in you, but this doesn't make sense to me. And I'm going to tell you, God. Again, if we go to Solomon and the book of Ecclesiastes, who he looks out on the world and he, he makes an assessment of all the problems that he sees around him. And, he's, and, and, and this is what he says. Again, I looked and I saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed and they have no comforter. Power was on the side of the, their oppressors and they have no comforter. And I declared that the dead who had already died are happier than the living who are still alive. It's a pretty bleak assessment, isn't it, of Solomon in the midst of what he finds. And yet, in all of these expressions of honesty and reaction before God in the circumstances of life, what, these people don't stay there. They pour them out to God and actually each of them ends up in a, in a different place before God. But along the way, they have no problem with expressing what's really going on and how they're really feeling. And it seems that God has no problem with it either. I want to share, I want to bring it up to date. I want to share um, part of a story um, in a book called Life from Death Emerging by a guy called Paul Bradbury. Um, he, uh, it tells really the story of his experience of having a child with cystic fibrosis. Um, his wife, Emily, who's the mum in this story, is a family friend of our family uh, as I was growing up. And so it, it just helps to earth it, I think. And he's written a brilliant book, which... Um, It's just helpful, really. So let me read some of this story. I cannot really ever remember a point when I questioned what was going on as Jacob became ill. This was partly because he became ill gradually and imperceptibly. It was the rather cruel opposite of the inability of parents to notice their children growing growing until the grandparents arrive and exclaim, Oh, hasn't she grown? There are photographs of Jacob at the very worst point of his illness that I cannot bear to look at partly because he's virtually unrecognizable as Jacob, but more because he's so clearly a very ill child. And we, while acknowledging that he was ill, didn't really realize how shocking he looked. It was the reaction of others that alerted and alarmed us. Somehow, however, the protective qualities of parent psychology ensured that we were sheltered from a perpetual state of anxiety at the sight of our child. What we entered into was ambiguity and mystery, the unknown. Suffering in all its forms is unpleasant and unwanted. What is perhaps most painful of all is the suffering of the unknown. The unknown is a situation of limbo, of suspension. We're not sure whether to hope or to grieve. We cannot confront, but then nor can we ignore. The tension between life and death is with us all the time, and it hurts like hell. It's a sickness that does not leave us alone and assaults our senses every minute of the day. That's the kind of tension we lived for about two months, one that intensified as time went on as we spent more and more time in the pediatric clinic and as more and more blood was taken out of Jacob's body for testing. Jacob became extremely anemic until only blood transfusions on a fortnightly basis kept his hemoglobin levels up. He developed a raw and bleeding rash on his legs that refused to heal. He brought up the entire contents of his stomach, sometimes as often as five or six times a day. He began to puff up as though he were a beast while putting on absolutely no weight at all. It became increasingly clear to us that the situation was no longer trivial. Somewhere in that agonizing tension, we hung on to faith. Looking back now, this in itself seems quite remarkable. Where was the questioning? Where was the rage? Where was the inevitable cry of, why is this happening to me? We went to a church that seemed to revel in family, in those who were pregnant, in the production of each new child, and in the providence of children. And here we were, finally, after several years of watching other people's happy, healthy, and normal kids scurrying around us with our first child, destined surely, like them, to be normal, 
struggling to imagine if he might ever walk, talk, or even live at all. And yet the standard questions didn't come. As it proved, they came later. In the meantime, something sustained us. We had a relationship with God that suddenly came into focus as never before. All that Emily and I had staked our lives on abruptly mattered. And our faith held. Shaken, but it held. And now let me go on just towards the end of of his book. If I conclude anything from our experience of Jacob's illness, it is this. It's not unusual, rather it's perfectly normal. For what we experienced was an intensification in time and in form of all our experience of living in this world, of being caught in the coexistence of two worlds and waiting for the fullness of one to be released by the dissipation of the other. As Philip Yancey puts it in reference to Lazarus, all of us live out our days in the in-between time, the interval of chaos and confusion between Lazarus's death and reappearance. Although such a time may be temporary and may pale into insignificance alongside the glorious future that awaits us, right now it is all we know, and that is enough to bring tears to our eyes. Our suffering, our pain, our waiting in the unknown for God to show up is not unusual. This is the reality of the time we live in, the messy, chaotic space in the middle between one world and the next, where we feel the painful consequences of one and yet the tantalizing sweet sucker of the next. This coexistence of apparent opposites is hard. In some ways, it would be easier not to know that a world free of all the pain and suffering of this one was so agonizingly close. This was the pain that even Jesus felt as he stood before the tomb of the dead Lazarus, fully aware of his ability to resurrect him, yet fully aware of the pain of death. That the separation between death and life for Lazarus was so slim served only to illustrate how slim it was for the rest of the world. This moved him to tears. Such was the intensity of that moment. We were forced into that moment. In that tomb lay not Lazarus, but Jacob, our son. And we, like Jesus, cried the tears of pain, mixed with joy as Jacob re-emerged and rediscovered life. In the chaos and intensity of that moment, we held on to faith, onto the existence and sovereignty of God. By the grace of God, we got through that extended moment, not through any heroism of faith, restricted or unavailable to anyone else. We survived through the support of others who were faith for us. We got through because we kept asking questions, often full of doubt and anger, but all holding the reality of God as a given. There was for us enough of a rumor of God to believe that there was more of him to be found on the other side of our pain. So we held on. And that's just one story. There's countless stories in this room, in this church, amongst us, of people holding on, expressing the reality of suffering, expressing the reality of pain, not having questions answered and yet holding on in faith, in hope to God. And I believe what we see again and again is the power of the Christian story, the Christian faith, actually to begin to make sense, emotional sense, and to provide emotional support for people who are struggling. And I guess There's always two ways, isn't there, of reacting at the point of confronting a situation of pain, of suffering. Either we say, with the logical objection, we say there cannot be a God. There cannot be a God who allows this. Or we say, I've got no choice at this point but to lean in to God and trust him because where else am I going to go to find hope? And actually, the secular worldview doesn't help us at this point, does it? Because the secular view that says there's no God, well, if there's no God, there's no basis for right and wrong. There's no basis for good and bad. Things are just the way they are. 
We just have to lump it. We live with it. We get on with life. There's no emotional solution. There's nothing to cling on to. The Christian worldview, by contrast, does provide a framework to begin to make sense, even in the midst of pain and suffering. There is a basis for saying things are right and things are wrong. There is a basis for saying there's good and there's bad. God is good. Creation is good. Suffering and pain are bad. And God doesn't stand at a distance removed from our pain. He enters into the middle of it. He enters into our world of suffering, right into the heart of the pain and the suffering and the hurt in the person of Jesus as a man to experience all that we experience living as human beings. He experiences human suffering right to the extreme of dying on a cross in our place. And in so doing, he takes human evil upon himself renounces human evil and provides a way for human evil to be forgiven. Death and all that goes with it are defeated as he comes back to life in the resurrection. And as a result of this incredible move of God in stepping right into the midst of our pain, right into the experience of being human, ultimately, God tr- good triumphs. And the way is opened up for, the, for a world of suffering to a world without suffering to be, sorry, for the world that we know is suffering to be made completely new. For now, though, we live in this tension between two worlds, as Paul described in that testimony in his book. The world that we know really well, the world that we experience, the world of pain, the world of circumstance, of hurt, of unexplained situations of unanswered questions. We live in that world, but also with the hope of the promise of God, the hope of a new world that is made possible by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. A new kingdom is promised for those who are prepared to make Jesus king, a kingdom that is inaugurated in Jesus's death and resurrection, but not fully realized until he comes again. And this is how the Bible describes that future. This is Revelation verse 21. God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And the promise of the Bible, the hope of the Christian faith is that at the end of the story, there is justice. At the end of the story, wrong is righted. There is on offer freedom from pain and suffering. But in the meantime, we live in this tension between these two worlds. In the meantime, this new kingdom is beginning to break in. And that's why we pray for people who are struggling. We pray. That's why we pray for people to be healed. Because we believe that this new kingdom inaugurated by Jesus is beginning to break in. It's not yet fully realized, but it has started. Which is why we cry out to God and we say, come and break in. Let your kingdom come in now. Let people be healed. Let situations and lives be turned around. But we still live with the tension. And in the meantime also is the promise of Jesus as one who understands exactly what it is to be human, as one who understands what it is to suffer, to hurt on earth, the promise of Jesus that he walks with us through all the things that we face, that he will never leave us or forsake us, that he will fill us with his Holy Spirit to empower us somehow 
as we couldn't do on our own, but to empower us to live through the things that we face. So coming back to the question, why would a loving God allow suffering? As finite human beings, as limited, created beings, we're not going to find a comprehensive answer. We're not going to be able to say, this is why this happened. We can't look at every situation. We can't look at probably any situation and seek to come up with a full answer. It's just not within our capacity to do. But as we look at the cross, the answer cannot be because God does not love us. And all that we talk about this morning, this is not an attempt to get God off the hook. In fact, it's the very opposite that what God did in Jesus in dying on the cross is put himself on the hook. He couldn't have been more involved in the solution than he is. And I'm not saying that loads of questions don't remain unanswered. They do. That is what I'm saying. I can't explain. We can't explain. Lots of stuff will remain unanswered. We won't know what one another is going through. I guess there's always going to be people who seem to have suffered less and people who seem to have suffered more. But we never really know what somebody else is going through. But God knows. And his promise is he'll be with us in the midst of it. And that we have hope of something different in the future if we give our lives to him. And what we can seek to do and what I want to urge us to do is to be a community that doesn't offer the trite answers of Job's friends and doesn't seek to rationalize and to uh, put everything in nice boxes, but actually is free to express before God, as we've seen happens all through the Bible, what is actually going on in us as we struggle with things in life. And a a community of people that is prepared to stand alongside one another. Yes, to pray that God's kingdom in all its fullness, would begin to break in more and more, that people would be healed, that lives would be turned around, that that restoration would come to people as his kingdom breaks in. But knowing that we live in this tension between a world of pain and a world that is coming, and knowing that by the power of his spirit, we can experience him with us, walking with us, empowering us through the midst of the things that we go through. And our longing is that we should be that kind of community, Amen? That serves one another and supports one another in that way. So we're going to pray. I'd love us to pray for one another. We're going to serve one another. It doesn't have to be on this. You might think, oh, this is all a bit heavy. I don't know if I'm suffering in that way. But uh, look, the reality is we we, we believe in a God who's breaking in in all sorts of ways. And the opportunity that we have is to serve one another and see him break in in all sorts of situations. And I believe that that's the kind of thing he wants to do with us in these days increasingly. And there's beginning to be little stories, isn't there, of how God touched this one and that as we've prayed, particularly in the area of healing over the last few weeks. So let's be a people who keep coming back to God. Whatever it is that we're struggling with or not struggling, however small or large it may seem to be, that, um, that we come before God regularly again and again, that we stand with one another. We say, God, let your kingdom come amongst us. That others around us increasingly might see the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Amen. So can we stand together? We're going to pray. Just love us to have an opportunity to pray for one another. It doesn't, as I say, it doesn't have to be uh, about painful things in that sense. I'd love to pray for healing right now, that God will break in. Just want to give an opportunity for any of you guys on the team, if you have specific things that you feel like God is prompting you with. Yeah? Yeah, go for it. Um, it just felt like God just dropped two things 
into my mind as Nigel was praying. We believe in a God who speaks to us and wants to reveal himself to us. One is that um, there's somebody here who's either gone through or going through a painful or suffering situation that's causing your faith to flicker. If you like, you know, like a candle, it's almost like it feels like it's going to blow out. I just feel like God was want to, just wants to, I want to pray for you this morning that, that God would strengthen you and he would fan your faith into flames um, this morning. And the second one is for, for somebody or any, any group of people that fe- feel fearful of suffering or pain, either for yourself or for members of your own family or for those that are close to you. That you live with this fear and actually God is a God who wants to release us of fear and wants to bring us peace um, in, in, in all circumstances. So I'd love to pray for you in a minute when... Um, Hi, just a couple of specifics for specific people. Stephen Dimple, um, I just um, just felt this last night for you guys that I just I'm aware that you've just had your a big wedding anniversary and things, but just as I was um, just had you in my head um, yesterday, I think, and just felt like God was saying to you that I'm p- putting a marker in the sand, a line in the sand that there's stuff that even over the last twenty years have. Um, has lived with you. I don't know whether it's um, a weight that you've carried or something that you've lived with or responsibility or, um, yeah, I'm not sure exactly, but I feel like God's saying I'm putting a line in the sand and actually this is a new step of time and it's to walk away from some stuff and to walk into some new stuff for you guys. Um, and justice, I just felt for you as well that I feel like um, at the moment there's something which has not worked out the way that you planned it to. Um, I don't know if it's in the area of work or something, and it's like it's not worked out the way that you thought it would, um, and you're sort of a bit thrown and not sure what to do with that, or, um, yeah, not sure in what area exactly, but I just feel like, yeah, God wants to give you peace in that and speak to you, and so if we can pray for you as well, that'd be great. Just very, very simply, in terms of word of knowledge for healing, um, shin splints, um, particularly the left leg, but if the front of your shins, sharp pain, um, shin splints, I believe God wants to heal that. Brilliant. Thanks, guys. That's so good, isn't it? I just, just God wants to meet with us in these days, and I think he also wants to sharpen gifts amongst us of the Holy Spirit as well. So I, actually, I'd love to just add that to the list. If you say, look, I'd love to operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and that maybe it's words, words of knowledge or pro- prophecy or the gifts of healing, in fact, to pray for others. Just wanna, I just feel right now, even as I'm just saying that, I feel like God wants to just encourage that in people and give you maybe give you that gift so if any of the things that have been said or anything else there's an opportunity right now just to for god to meet with us if you need healing in area any area we believe in a god who heals we'd love to pray for you so why don't you come if that's any of the people who've been mentioned or healing or anything uh, that we've just said please come please come to the front right now and let's Take this opportunity. Don't miss the opportunity to meet with God. There'll be all sorts of things going on. Don't worry about what anyone else is thinking, but uh, let's just take the opportunity. Let's close our eyes right now. If you want to come, just put any situation in life before God right now. Come on, let's not miss the opportunity. I just believe God wants to meet with a number of people this morning. In different, As I say, it doesn't have to be a negative thing to do with pain or uh, that kind of thing. And please don't worry about other, what other people might think, but do come while there's the opportunity. Just uh, There's grace here this morning. I believe that God wants to meet with people by his spirit. If you need healing, why don't you come right now? Can we have one or two, uh, if we've got small group leaders here or other team members who are uh, willing to pray? Come on, come and find the spaces. Come down the front and let's, let's, let's pray. Lord Jesus. Lord, we just want to say that we love you. 
Lord, we thank you that we don't have a God who is distant and far removed. We have a God who has stepped right into the human condition, the human experience with all of its heartache and pain. Lord, we thank you that we have a God who understands. Father, we thank you also we have a God whose kingdom is breaking in. And we believe that this morning, Lord. We just want to say, Lord, let your kingdom come. Come and meet with people. Come and bring healing, I pray, in your name, Lord Jesus. Be glorified amongst us. Heal people right here now, Lord, I pray, in Jesus' name. Lord, may you be seen. Come and meet with people, I pray. Lord, whatever different situations are, I want to pray that the testimony this morning is, I met with God. God encountered me. Lord, may that be increasingly our experience in these days. Father.